It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Feeling like a thousand dollars in the summertime is summer of 2019. I feel good. Like it's the first time, Julie, you know, I know I came in real quick, cut you off a little bit. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, I feel different. Like I feel like, you know, we've no, we haven't missed a beat. Like we've been rocking. We we've done what we said we would do for our listeners. We dropped episodes every week now since uh, the beginning of June, but, but I'm back in my home office and it just feels a little different here because I've seen you the last couple of times. I know, I know. This will be a, a podcast that we have to do separately, but we're going to see each other tomorrow. Is that right? Tomorrow it is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll be in London probably around 12 noon on Wednesday. Uh, how about you? Um, so we get in just about 8 a.m. All right, cool. So for all of the listeners out there, I want you to take advantage of the fact that we are dropping the pod. We're giving you a preview that we're going to be at Wreckfest 19, hashtag Wreckfest 19. London is about five hours ahead of the East Coast, eight hours ahead of the West Coast. And and what I would ask is that you kind of follow the Twitter feed so that you can see what Julie and I are experiencing if you've never experienced Wreckfest. Yeah, we'll definitely try to maybe pick up some good interviews or some good conversations. But yeah, definitely follow us on on Twitter all day and we'll we'll keep photos and videos coming for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie and his team have done a great job. I listened to a podcast from Lars uh, from Amplify. Lars did a great 22 minute talk with Jamie Leonard uh, around the the reason why Wreckfest got started, uh, how it's grown over the last eight years. Uh, I really found an affinity, an affinity for you know, Jamie's posture around making the festival mean something, not just putting on another event where he can get a bunch of sponsors to pay money, but he really seems to be genuinely interested uh, around the experience that we all have uh, over at Mud Shoot Park. So I'm absolutely looking forward to busting down that microphone on Thursday at 1145. Hey, Torin, can you believe that this is our 19th episode? 19. Uh, I did lose track. Honestly, I lost track, you know, with seeing you and and whatnot. But I'm I'm happy about that because, again, you know, we may not have shared it with with the listeners and I won't go into the detail. I'm just appreciative of the fact that we we've been consistent enough in doing this and all the signals point towards us being at 1900 episodes. I love that. Absolutely. Well, and what do you what are you thinking about all of the interviews we've been doing? Have you been getting good feedback? Yeah, I have actually. You know, and I was wondering whether or not people appreciated uh, Dr. Robert Jensen from UTSA. Uh, whether or not they appreciated uh, the uh, segment that uh, actually his segment was on race, and then the segment we dropped in with Tracy Parsons uh, on employer branding. But people would hit they would hit me, you know, with messages, um, not as many messages on Twitter as I would have liked to have seen, but certainly some direct messages. I even had a mentee. This is true. A mentee here in Baltimore took the podcast and he shared it with a dear friend of his uh, who's I want to say in auto sales. 
And he said that the uh, the the friend was experiencing something that Tracy talked about in the employer branding uh, segment. So bottom line is the feedback has been positive. People are taking action on it. People are listening to it. People are subscribing. So I love that they are loving the exchange that you and I have. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely been really positive. We've gotten some good comments on Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And, and there's some of um, our newest episodes are getting our highest number of downloads. So that's definitely telling me that we're doing the right thing. And we've got a lot more interviews, some already recorded and a lot more to schedule um, with some really, really great leaders in our space and, and practitioners. And I'm just excited. Yeah, I'm going to bring some folks in from Y Combinator. Um, we're going to bring some folks in that are working with folks that have a visible disability. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the months of August and September and some of the newer and fresher voices that we're going to be able to bring. And actually, uh, I, I'm willing to bet, Julie, that when people listen to some of the folks that we, we have lined up, they've never heard their names before. Maybe the organizations, but they most certainly have never heard their names before. And one of the things that I appreciate is not really about you and I growing our brands, but it's really about being able to allow or, or, or provide space on this platform for other people. And so I love that we are bringing in the every other week introductions to new voices. Love that. Yes. Yeah, so let so, me ask you a question. Julie. What are we going to talk about yeah, today? So that, oh, that's what Lord. I was going to ask you. You know, I, I, I figured that, you know, we would tackle this conversation. I found an article over on courts at work QZ.com that that's titled how to talk to your boss about, mental health. But then when I look back, um, I said that we probably had just, you know, covered something within the last couple of episodes around mental health. So I said, we're not going to do that. I looked at the story that came up on newser.com around a festival in Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, this festival, you saw that where they were going to charge people of color one price and, you know, uh, people that were not African-American or Brown, uh, a different price. I absolutely didn't agree with that. And so I said, well, you know, there was a way for me to slant it, but but there's probably stuff that's more important for us to talk about. But what really kind of caught my eye personally, and I'm really going to throw it over to you as to how we start. But what really caught my eye was this whole conversation around pay inequality and and how it has bubbled up to the surface, not through the usual corridor of uh, a company, but through the soccer field. Did you see that? Oh, God, yeah. First of all, yay, USA. Um, U.S. women's national team bringing home the second World Cup in a row. I think the fourth 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 overall. overall, Absolutely. Did you watch it in any other games? Oh, yeah. I watched all of it. We we went to got a group of friends together and, and hung out and watched it and it was it was awesome. Uh, did you see the the Nike ad that aired I right did after? Not. And when you sent it to me, uh, unfortunately, I was probably doing uh, over the speed limit here in uh, Baltimore. So, so <laughs> I figured if I'm already over the speed limit, the last thing that I need to do is actually try to look at a video. So I got to be honest, I have not seen the video. I've seen a number of headlines. What was the video? Tell, walk me through that. Okay. So first of all, I appreciate you staying safe. You I need it. a pod partner. Second. Um, so, I mean, literally it ran the second the game was over, a full 60-second ad from Nike, um, praising and going through kind of the highlights of 
the the event of of the World Cup, the the whole thing. But then at the end, it was all about equal pay, equal pay, equal pay, equal pay, and I mean, it was just spot on in the tone and kind of tenor that the the women's team has put forward. Um, over the last several months, they actually have a lawsuit that's pending against um, the U.S. Soccer Federation about equal pay. Um, and, and what I thought was most interesting, one, is how well Nike read th- the atmosphere or kind of the, the mood of, of the team and of those that are watching it. But what was made it even more powerful is that as the women started to accept their trophy, the crowd in France started chanting equal pay, equal pay, equal pay. Like it was pretty fucking serious? powerful. Hell yeah. It was so, awesome. I mean, I'm not a TV person, but my memory says that they beat France to win the championship. Correct. Well, the they Netherlands. beat the Netherlands, okay, but okay. it was in okay. France. Cool. Yes. They were in France. They beat the Netherlands. Got it. And so you have, and yes. you know why you have them uh, chanting in that manner? Because actually uh, the, the disparity in pay for women in soccer is most pronounced here in the U.S. as well as in London. So we're not just talking about an issue that is impacting uh, U.S. women's soccer team. We're talking about uh, women's soccer teams all around the country. And I actually want to put it in a bit perspective. And I appreciate you uh, sharing the fact that they recently went into mediation. But what we're looking at right now is about $30 million in prize money from FIFA, FIFA, $30 million in prize money for the women compared to $400 million in prize money for the men. Now, this is not even this is not even brand new. So we're talking, you know, the women right now have earned somewhere in the neighborhood of about ninety thousand dollars in terms of World Cup bonuses or had earned about 90 K while the men had earned somewhere in the neighborhood of about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And and what FIFA would like to say is that this comes down to recognition. It comes down to viewership. It comes down to ticket sales. But others will tell you, if you look at some of the numbers, the women have been selling more tickets for the last two, three years than even the men have. Their viewership has been more than the men. And so it really is not so much so around the things that FIFA would like to say. And the reason why I love that Nike did the story and that you you raised the video and shared it with me at 95 miles an hour uh, is because this is not a new subject. In 2014, in 2014, the men's soccer teams who were eliminated in the first round of FIFA collected $8 million each. These were the men's teams that were eliminated in the first round while the winners that year, the women winning team collected just $2 million. So here you are winning and you can't even get as much in terms of compensation as the loser. So it's a powerful conversation. I'm glad France chimed in. Yeah, and I, I think that's the, the critical point is that women, the women's team is performing at a higher standard and they are working at a higher standard. And there's a lot of data about revenue that directly contradicts what uh, FIFA is saying. Um, And even with the stellar performance, they're only making maybe on par 
with what a man makes for those performances. And that has nothing to do with the, that's more salary and bonus structure and has nothing to do with what you talked about, Torn, which is the biggest disparity, which is the prize money that comes out of the the FIFA World Cup. And that is huge. Absolutely, because these women are making, you know, a f- I mean, it's a decent amount of money, uh, you know, throughout the season. It's not anything that is going to make a person say that we are good to go. These women are playing uh, to the best of their ability so that they could secure endorsements and uh, speaking engagements and perhaps book deals and other appearance fees. So these women are piecing together, as they would say, uh, an annual income that's in addition to uh, what they receive on the soccer field. And, and let me tell you why this is important for me. It's important, and, and it probably is important for you for some of the very same reasons and even more with you being a woman. But but it's important to me, Julie, because we continue to have this conversation around pay inequality. We have some great companies like Salesforce and a few others that have gone through and said, let me look at, let me look at how all of our staff are being compensated. So I'm not just talking sport and I'm not only talking corporate corridor. I'm talking in general. I want to see women compensated for the job that they are doing equal to their male counterparts. But I also want to ask the question, and it may be a bit rhetorical, but I want to ask the question. If in fact, the women are not generating as much income for whatever reason, whether it be endorsement deals or licensing deals, that's a, that's a better term, licensing deals that these networks are entering into with corporations and vendors and advertisers, then how do we make up the difference? And I'm asking genuinely because I also understand business. And so for, 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 when you think about the men and, and these licensing deals and you think about the same happening over on the women's side, they're unfortunately not generating the same income. So then where does the money come from? Yeah. How and, do and we I, do it? I'm going to post in the show notes a article from the, the WAPO today that gets pretty deep into the finances, which is a lot to read and too much to talk about. But I think that Regardless, the women have a strong case of pay disparity based on just their collective bargaining agreement. So I, I think that needs to be said first is that the revenues, the net revenues, women have a higher net revenue than the men do in the last two years, not just by a little bit, but they have lower expenses as as well. And so that's a big deal. When we're talking about apples to apples comparison, the women are bringing in more money and they're spending less. Now, when we get into kind of what you're talking about with like the the packages and the media stuff, I, that's like over my head. I'll, I'll say it. But this WAPO article is worth reading because it is pretty balanced. It takes both sides. But the other thing that I think is important, and I'm just going to say this and I may have to cut it out later, but if I can put that back on you, Torn, and ask you in a different way. If there were two sports teams and one was predominantly black and one was predominantly white, if the white team brought in more money, does that mean the white team deserves to get paid more? 
No, absolutely not. And so, you know, again, that that's a very good question. And I think about the Negro Leagues, for instance, you know, and I don't want to go back too far in history, but we've had that before, Julie. We've had the Negro Leagues and, uh, you know, them uh, picking um, uh, Jackie Robinson to come up and play. uh, And I don't think he was first. Please forgive me because I can't remember. I don't think that he was first, but I think that he, you know, certainly was one of the first, if you will. And and by all accounts, the Negro Leagues did not generate uh, in ter- in terms of sport and in terms of revenue what uh, you know white teams or the white leagues were generating at that time. We've had the same thing in basketball, where where there were black only teams and leagues, if you will. But what we've seen uh, over and over and over again is that separating the two was not necessarily the best thing in terms of revenue, in terms of competition, in terms of entertainment, in terms of joy for the sport, in terms of appreciation and crowd growth and, uh, you know, fanfare and jersey sales. All of that has been better when it's been integrated. All of that has been better when they played together. So while I can't answer the question and I appreciate you volleying it back to me, what I would say is that I can't answer the separative separatist question, but I can answer the one around inclusion. And I love that I can answer the one around inclusion. We've won. You know, we've seen in history places like Black Wall Street and 12, 13 other different Rosewood and other places around the country where black people thrive when they were left to their own and and they were able to build business on their own. But we've also seen where uh, black people have thrived when they've been able to to commingle and to to do business with other people. So I just want to see us do business, do business together and do business equitably. Um, You know what I'm saying? Does, Does that make sense? Oh, it, it absolutely does. And I know it's not an apples to apples comparison um, when we think about it, but it's like, hey, if you play 20 games, and I play 20 games, at least our base salaries should be the same. And if the, you know, I get more endorsements or I get more sponsorships or I sell more, more jerseys, then, you know, that's my money to be had. And, and that's a different conversation, I think, than what we're talking about with um, just their collective bargaining and agree- bargaining agreements and and the prize money. Those are those are separate from kind of or at least when I think about it, I try to think of it that way. And, you know, sports is such a conduit for social change. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned some history right there with the Negro Leagues and how much sports have changed um I think how white culture who doesn't have everyday interaction with black and brown people um, idolize and and really start to think about black athletes. So I think that that's critical. And I think that soccer may be in the place where having a similar conversation for equal pay um, and, and the women who have platforms and they have voices are willing to use it just as as black athletes have been willing to do in the past. One thing that I think is is still and this would be either black athletes or, or female athletes is that once you get to that level, right, like someone can tell me I'm wrong, but no woman is going to say, you know, I've worked my entire life playing soccer. And I can play for the women's team and go to the World Cup 
Or I can be mad because I can't get paid the same and go get a job at Salesforce. I, I mean, so there there is still such an element of control that the establishments have, whether it's FIFA or um, U.S. Soccer Federation, of control because that's such a dream destination for any athlete, any woman you know, who's worked that hard her entire life to get to that level. You, you need a collective bargaining agreement, and they've been working on that, and that has made some impact. But still, you're not going to say no. You know what I mean? No, you're. Yeah, I do. I do. And I'm, I'm again, I'm rooting for the women. I want to see them find a way to um, to experience on that field for all of the running, all of the work, all of the dedication, all of the development that they have in that <laughs> sport, you know, just for them to be recognized and to be compensated at a level in which uh, they are absolutely so, so very much so deserving. Speaking of Nike, you talked about the commercial, which I will check out, by the way. But they hit you earlier in the week and you you shot me a text. <laughs> so I know you were planning to talk about yeah. it. You were going to talk about just for the listeners out there, a little behind the curtain programming. We were going to talk about EEOC versus Rogers behavioral health. And we may still get to it, but I can't let you off, Julie, because you hit me with a text and then another one and then another one. And then I got like five of them in a row. And you were like you were like heated. But you were heated in a in a curious way around Nike and that Susan B. Anthony flag. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So this is a tough one, right? Um. <laughs> okay. I'm listening because, see, here's what they don't know. What they don't know is that you, you had an opinion that you didn't really reveal to me. All you did was ask me through about eight texts how I felt about it. You never once said how you felt. So I figured I would just kind of put you on the spot. I want to hear what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say this is one of those times when I was trying to to be a good listener because I, I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of tap this out to Torn and let him give me some guidance on, is this something like that's too much to talk about? Is it like, you know... Don't you lie on me because I still got the text messages. I'm telling you, I'm pulling, <laughs> I'm pulling it up right now to make sure that you you pay me in the right framework. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to be quiet. So I, I just, I was trying to test the waters and I was, you know, you were super, super open to the conversation, which I appreciate because we can have any conversation with each other. And so anyway, like second of July, Nike announces, "Hey, we've pulled this particular July Fourth tennis shoe we had just delivered to stores all over the country that had the Betsy Ross version of the flag." So Betsy Ross. I'm sorry, I, I said Susan B. Anthony. Correction, Betsy Ross. You got it. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, <That's> cool. <laughs> I was gonna cut that out in editing. Um, the the Betsy Ross flag, who, according to legend, I guess anyway, um, Betsy Ross was the first person to stitch together the American flag for the the thirteen colonies, and so first props to to Nike because they have Colin Kaepernick on as an advisor. So think back to our story. Oh my gosh, months ago now when we would talked about uh, Gucci and the blackface sweater. Yeah. At least they had someone to say, hey, this is probably not a great idea. And 
we we know that Colin Kaepernick is social activist, athletic activist, committed social justice activist, right? And he is committed to continuing the race conversation from his platform about where we are as a country. So I'm getting ready for my 4th of July and I'm reading this and I'm trying to like put my Robert Jensen hat on and say, okay, how am I supposed to, what is the appropriate response here? I think I still don't know. (laughs) I mean, this is such a, like, this is such a hard one for me because I 100% understand as best as I can that this country was was created on the backs of slaves and it was created at the cost of of tens if not hundreds of millions of native americans and that is not something that we should celebrate but is there a way as a country that we can have a conversation where we accept our history and we accept the things that have been, we as white people I'm talking about right now, we accept the things that have been done that our ancestors did to create a, 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 a situation, a country where we have advantage as white people still without being anti-America. Like, is that possible? I'm going to stop talking now. Whew. Yeah. So um, I'll read to you actually uh, for the listener. Uh, My text to Julie, it says, my take is every battle ain't worth fighting. I appreciate Colin's vocalness, but I'm in the end. uh, It's a flag, another flag. And similar to the current flag under which black men and women are accosted wrongfully by police. Some brown babies at the border, too many and cages Mm -hmm. and more are under. And that's our current flag. And so for me, it really was it really is not an issue that I feel like I'm going to die on the hill for. It's not an issue that was going to garner a tweet from me. It's not an issue that uh, outside of this podcast I would have had in my uh, daily diet of conversation. It's not an issue that I'm going to insert as an example in any of my presentations. It's just not that important to me. And. Um, mm-hmm. while I, while I can appreciate, and honestly, I want the listeners to know I'm an honest individual. I really had to go to Google and I had to, I had to look up Betsy Ross. I had to look up the name, the time, the period in which the flag was created. What's the story associated with it? And it didn't take long, maybe an hour, 40 minutes, something of the sort. But in the end, Julie, I was like, yo, this ain't worth fighting for. I appreciate Colin, you know, raising his voice and and standing on what he believed in. If I had been in the boardroom in Nike or if if I had been in the decision making room in Nike, I would have put the shoe out. And for me, it was about it would have been we win some, we lose some, we fight some, we don't. Um, Because, again, when you think about Nike and the shoe, When you think about the police officers that were asked to leave the Starbucks in Arizona, again, that's not a move that I would have done. If I'm the barista at Starbucks, I would have never asked the officer based on what I read, based on what I read. I would have never asked the officers to leave the location. It's just Julie, I say this 
and you've seen me speak a number of times. I start every presentation with a slide that says love and process, because I know that I'm going to bring some, I'm going to bring a couple of, um, it, it might be a bit painful to listen to some of what I have to share with people. And I'm very direct and raw, but if you know that I'm speaking and I'm standing in love, then you will hopefully process what I'm saying to you differently. You will look at it a bit differently. My short take, it wasn't worth fighting for. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, you make a, a, an excellent point and similar to what we talked about a little bit last week when I said, if someone calls me dear, that that's not a hill I'm going to die on. What I care about is systemic misogyny and, and mis- systemic pay inequity and those kind of things that affect women, myself included, and and my children. And and you basically you know reiterated that point here is that that's not the most important hill to die on. I mean, that was something that I think we can acknowledge in our history, but when does it just drown out the conversation and stop us from talking to one another? Because we can't, because we're focused on these things that we can't change and that we can't. And let me tell you, you know, what I would have, what I, what I would have loved to have seen you raised it. uh, You, you actually touched on it. When we think about some of these other high, um, high post and luxury brands, these high cotton brands, as they call them, you know, when we think about some of the missteps that they've had over the last several years by not having the right people in the room or perhaps not even having any diversity in the room, I think it would have been an incredible statement for Nike to say, you know, we consulted with a, a variety of individuals. Perhaps we named some of them or Colin or whatnot. And we decided to go in a different direction. What an incredible statement of of showing to these other brands. A, we are listening. We we value the diversity. So it's not as if we are just setting you in the room as a prop, as a token. But we appreciate you. We value what we what you uh, have shared, what you offered up. We've digested it. And from a business perspective, considering all of this creative design and manufacturing and shipping and logistics, all of this investment has gone into this particular shoe. We're just going to push forward with it. And 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 and, and the other side of the conversation, Julie, and I don't know if you heard this, was that we not we, but but that people people who who would have purchased the shoe would have been co-opting the flag and amplifying racism, if you will. And again, I'm just not willing to go down that railroad track. That's just not a trip that I'm willing to take with folks. So I just think that, you know, it was a misstep on Nike's part. I trust the folks at Nike. I think that they have some extremely smart people. I think that they are empathetically connected to this work. They have shown it through the video that they released. What's, you know, what's amazing to me, Julie, they can release a video seconds, as you said, seconds after the women win the World Cup. But I can't get every single Fortune 1000 company to put out a video around the power of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yep. 
And that's that's the truth, right? And I mean, the last thing about Nike is that's them living their values. We talked about this in my last ranty episode about AT&T and the flag and all of that is it costs Nike some money to do that based on everything that you just said. And they still pulled the shoe because it was consistent with their values of not doing anything that can be perceived, I guess, as, as racist behavior. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in an end note, I absolutely agree, right? These corporations are powerful entities and they have massive workforces behind them that can make change quickly, and do quickly. make change. They can make it quickly. But quickly, yes, quickly. But they're failing to do so from an inclusion Absolutely. perspective. Hey, so Julie, listen, um, we got to pack. I got to I gotta make sure that um, I'm good to go for, um, I'm sorry, not pack, but you know, I, I, I got to be make, I got to make sure I'm ready. So name drops. Give them to me. Give them to me. All right. So I've got this week um, Jobgate. I mentioned them really quickly on my last name drop, but um, Louise Grant and and the job board, Dr. Jeff over there, um, one of the best conferences I've worked with in terms of how they treat their speakers, an amazing audience. I learned a lot and I really changed up my presentation and it got some, some pretty great feedback from Louise and her team. So I appreciate that. And I was excited to be a part of that and look forward to, to being there again next year. Um, and also just a couple of name drops to some upcoming interviews that we're going to drop in the month of July, um, including Mr. Tim Sackett and James Ellis. Why? Why, you, why James? Why James? I, I think I know why, but tell me real quick. Because we're going to do an interview Okay, with that's him? a good reason. Uh, so if, what, what, what was no, the other that's reason? A good reason? That's a good reason. <laughs> Plus, he's just a great guy. James is an awesome guy. And if you don't know him, my name drop is Smashfly. Was with them uh, earlier in the month. And, and I got to tell you, for the listeners, first of all, they have an incredible product. But more more than that, they have incredible heart. They are the first conference, and I've spoken at plenty. They are the first conference that has asked me, how do we make a bigger difference than just the conference? And they allowed me to use my platform and my time there with them to raise money for the Orally Cancer Research Foundation out of Georgia. You can find them online at Twitter at we are Aura Lee. We are O R A L E E. That's their Twitter handle. We are Aura Lee. So my name drop goes to Smashfly for putting on a fantastic event in Boston and allowing me to use my platform to raise some money for cancer research. Can't can't beat Smashfly. Oh, awesome. So I'm obviously going to be with you in London when this show drops. And then I am headed off to National Industry Liaison Group to present with PepsiCo at the end of, or I'm sorry, end of July in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Chad gets to go with me. He's super lucky. And uh, yeah, then I'll be home for, I think, about a month or so. How about you? Often asked, what's the ROI of DNI? I say greater humanity. You know, Julie and I, uh, we might put that on a T-shirt uh, for the beginning of 2020, Greater Humanity uh, with Crazy and the King. We absolutely love each and every one of you. We want you to share 
the pod with other people like literally take the link and put it on your social media feeds. Listen, white folks, don't be afraid to put it on your social media feed. It's all right. If, if, yeah, it's all right. If something says the word diversity and inclusion, it's okay. If the image comes up and says crazy and the, and the King, your, your friends will not disown you because you have, they may ask a question. They may challenge you, but I want you to put it up. I put stuff up. I want you to put it up. I want you to also tune into my show Sirius XM channel 126 on Sunday, 1 p.m. I have an incredible show that is forward looking, kind of shouting out some of the people that I want to talk to before 2019 is over. And last but not least, I actually close reminding each and every one of you to ask yourself, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to do to be a better human? What are you going to do differently. Have an awesome week. We're ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to crazy and the King. I'm Julie. So with my co-host Torin Ellis, follow us on social media, but you can also now find crazy and the King on Facebook at our website, crazy or follow our hashtag. Like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cells straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.